I'd like for you to open your Bibles to Ecclesiastes chapter 10. And we started that last week, but we're going to uh, just go over it a little bit tonight and continue on with that message, the painting of a fool or the portrait of a fool. In Ecclesiastes 10, 12 through 20, it says, Words from the mouth of a wise man are gracious, while the lips of a fool consume him. The beginning of his talking is folly, and the end of it, wicked madness. Yet the fool multiplies words. No man knows what will happen, and who can tell him what will come after him. The toil of a fool so wearies him that he does not even know how to go to a city. Woe to you, O land, whose king is a lad and whose princesses feast in the morning. Blessed are you, O land, whose king is of nobility, and whose princesses eat at the appropriate time for strength, and not for drunkenness. Through indolence and rafters, uh, though, or through indolence and uh, rafters sag, and through slackness the house leaks. Men prepare a meal for enjoyment, and wine makes life merry, and money is the answer to everything. Furthermore, in your bedchamber do not curse a king, and in your sleeping rooms do not curse a rich man, or for a bird of the heavens will fly or carry the sound, and the winged creature will make the matter known. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, just thank you for this opportunity to glorify you and honor you, and we just pray that your grace and its sufficiency will just touch our lives. I pray that we will listen to your words, the words that the Holy Spirit might speak to us at this time. And, and I pray that we will heed the words, uh, give us direction in heeding them. Uh, and I pray that we will take that path, that we will yield to your direction and your commands and your leadership. And I pray that we will um, leave this place rejoicing because we know that we're stepping out in faith faith of obedience, walking in obedience, uh, honoring you and trying to glorify you in all that we say and do. So God, you just, uh, you, you work in a mighty way in our hearts and our lives as only you can. In Jesus' name, amen. As I said last week, you know, that's one unique thing about scripture and we, we can love it for this is it's, it, it is very encouraging to us and uh, it lets us know uh, how we are also, and that is uh, when it paints a life, the, um, you know, the Spirit of God does so differently than that of painters today and artists today. We want all the blemishes removed, but the uh, divine artist never overlooks the imperfections of one's life. He doesn't try to uh, flatter his subjects in any way. And so this, this chapter is a case in point. And this chapter also uh, continues the theme concerning the wise versus the fool in life. And foolishness and folly is placed alongside those who are wise. And it's going to be that comparison as we look at it again in this chapter. The preacher continues additional information about the characteristics of a fool. So let's just rehearse what he said as we looked at it last week, the words of the wise as opposed to the words of a fool. It says, words from the mouth of a wise are gracious, while the lips of the fool consume him. In other words, words of the wise are gracious. Words of the wise are gracious. Some Bible translates this verse, 
the words of the wise man's mouth wind him favor. Now, what kind of favor are you talking about? Some could interpret that to mean that the words of a wise man will gain a good reputation. Uh, but the word translated favor here really is a word for grace. And this word means favor undeserved. So it would seem that the best way to translate the phrase about the wise man's word is to be words from the wise or the mouth of the wise man are gracious. Yeah, meaning that a wise man's words show grace undeserved to other people. They are messages of blessing to them. And the point of the verse is not that the wise words will get us blessings from other people, namely their favor, but that they will enable us to give something to other people, uh, namely the gracious love of God. So the wise person speaks graciously. Now, how, can, how does a wise person speak graciously? Well, with a humble heart. It fears God, the Bible teaches. A humble heart will put others first. A wise man's heart that is humble will speak praises to God and speak his grace to other people. That's demonstrating God to others, honoring God to others. Uh, a wise man's heart is a true heart. A true heart moves the lips to speak the truth. In other words, they don't want to speak something unwise, uh, something untrue, but to speak the truth, the truth that honors God. And so a wise heart is also a gentle heart. A gentle heart makes our speech tender and mild. It's not rough and crude and, and destructive, but it's encouraging and building one up. A wise man's uh, heart is a loving heart, and a loving heart will speak words of affection, caring, Letting the people know that we care, and that care comes from a heart of God. And in other words, a wise person has a heart for Christ and therefore speaks words that demonstrate his grace, which honors him. There was never a man who uttered words of wisdom like Christ, was there? And the Bible says that when he spoke, people marveled at his gracious words that were coming from his mouth. We're told in Luke chapter 4, verse 22. But look at the words of the fool, he says. The lips of the fool, first of all, consume him. Ecclesiastes 10, 12, the last part of it. They're not wise. Words are very important, aren't they? The heart with which we speak them are so very important. And the preacher mentioned some of the many problems that we have with foolish speech he spends more time talking about the lips of the foolish than the mouth of the wise and speech can be very difficult even in the area of sanctification James tells us if anyone does not stumble in what he says he is a perfect man in James 3 and that is very difficult to be a perfect man in so is we're stumbling in that all the time. The speech, James spends so much time in that in his, in his uh, uh, book. And so uh, the preacher gives us the first danger area for foolish speak, and that is consuming. Literally, literally his words mean eat him up. In other words, there are many ways that words can consume or destroy us. Sometimes a fool's words 
are rash, aren't they? And they get him into trouble by causing someone else to get angry with him. When that happens, he can be consumed by what the other person says or does. At other times, words can be said in a foolish way that could ruin a reputation. Once something is said, the damage is done. You can't take it back. There are many other ways a fool can speak foolish words that will consume him. But we don't have time to mention all of those. A German commentator named Leopold once said, The lips of a fool bring about his own undoing. The fool can make our lives miserable, but it is ultimately his life that will be consumed. The preacher has already informed us that the fool just multiplies words. He just just keeps on, keeps on, keeps on. He doesn't know where to stop, in other words. Someone once said a sharp tongue invites a split lip. <laughs> I read this uh, story about two uh, about spouses uh, in uh, different commentaries, and it was uh, these this spouse went to uh, or these spouses went to a psychologist. One spouse commented or commented to the other one, "Talk, talk, talk, talk." That's all my spouse ever does. Counselor asked, "Well." What does your spouse talk about? And that spouse said, I don't know. They don't ever say. The fool will blurt out whatever's on their mind, not knowing what it is, not caring what it is. And it's dangerous for him to lose something from his mind because he doesn't have much to lose. He doesn't care how it might hurt others either. The fool's tongue is evidences telltale signs that cannot be hidden or uh, ignored. And, and then in verse 13, the beginning of his talking is folly, and the end of it is wicked madness. So the second danger of danger is evil, if you'll look at that. Verse 13 describes a downward spiral. At first, the words of the fool's mouth was merely foolish. It just didn't have any substance or make sense. But the longer he talked, the crazier it became. Things go from bad to worse, and by the time he's through, the fool has degenerated into evil madness, the preacher says. We see this in lives of foolish people all the time. Their speech at first may simply be silly talk, but a person who is silly enough to tell a little white lie or say something behind someone's back will not stop there, will they? They will continue on. Soon the fool will be using words in, in ever more destructive ways. And the wise, on the other hand, he says, will guard his speech carefully, knowing that folly is at the gateway to depravity. Parents are to be wise not only with their own words, because they should be examples before their children, but with the words that come out of their children. And that's one thing that we definitely need to teach our children. We should not let foolish words go uncorrected. We should correct them in a godly way. Children can say, what was the thing, the darndest things? That, that, uh, but also, at times, they can say the ugliest things, can't they? Dr. Tripp, in his book, War of Words, gives a wise practical counsel for knowing the difference between wise and foolish speech. And he, he mentions this. He says, listen to the talk that goes on in your home. How much of it is impatient and unkind? 
How often are words spoken out of selfishness and person, personal desire? How easily do outbursts of anger occur? How often do we bring up past wrongs? How do we fail to communicate hope? How do we fail to protect? How often do our words carry threats that we have had it and are about to quit? Stop and listen, and you will see how much we need to hold our talk to this standard of love and how often the truth we profess to speak has been distorted by our sin. Paul calls these people unruly and vain talkers in, in Titus 1.10. J.B. Phillips translates it this way, who will not recognize authority, who talk nonsense. The Jewish, there was Jewish writer, Shalom Alchim, says this about the words of fool spouts. You can tell when a fool speaks, he grinds much and produces little. The third area of danger with foolish words is presumption. The fool makes arrogant and boastful claims about what, he, what they know and what they will do, but are unable to back them up uh, with knowledge and action. In Ecclesiastes 10, 14, yet the foolish multiply words. No man knows what will happen, and who can tell him what will come after him. Fools are quite opinionated. They also seem to be big talkers. A fool it seems, is seldom content to keep his folly to himself. He knows everything, you know. <laughs> and they seem to insist on sharing it with others. I mean, they'll let you know they know everything. Words seem to multiply with them. They go on and on with what they are saying. Usually what they are talking about is meaningless and makes no sense. Fools will say things like in 20 years if we don't change our living, our way of living here on earth, the earth will be destroyed. Now how, who can predict the end of time? Anybody? No, anybody. Now it doesn't mean that we shouldn't improve things, does it? But one such person as this, talking about this on the news the other day, uh, he was a part of, say, the original people that started out, save the earth movement and he said the reason uh, I no longer uh, belong or involved with this movement isn't that I don't want I'm not concerned about making the earth better and keeping it good in good shape but he said they began to go to extremes to state their point their point no longer was according to data data but political opinion politics took over he still believes in trying to make the earth a safer place to live, he said, but not to the point of exaggeration, which is motivation from power, money, and politics. Isn't it amazing? He was one of the ones that started that. One of the very few that started that and believed in it strongly, and he saw how politics and money and power took over. So, one author used the example of teenagers in the home. He said, does this not sound familiar? If you have a teenager in your home, I bet you, you've used some similar li uh, lines. Honey, if you keep acting like that, there's no telling where you're going to wind up. Or how many times do you have to learn the same lesson? Do you know that if you keep doing that, such and such, might very well happen? I mean, who knows where you'll be in two years? 
to say nothing of the end of your life. And then the author goes on to say, it's hard enough when your teenager is a fool, but it's downright tragic when the fool is your husband or wife, and you're trying to find meaning out of a maze of madness. And such family instability affects everyone, especially the children. James Dobson wrote, the most vulnerable victims of family instability are children who are too young to understand what has happened to their parents. That tragic impact on the next generations was graphically illustrated to me in a research conversation with a sixth grade teacher in an upper middle class California city. She was shocked to see the results of created writing tasks assigned to her students. They were asked to complete a sentence that began with the words, I wish. Now, what would you think? These little uh, sixth, grade, sixth graders would write, I wish. I wish I had a pet. I wish I had a bicycle. I wish I had a television. wish I had a trip to Hawaii. Instead, 20 of the 30 children made references to disintegrating families such as, I wish my parents wouldn't fight and I wish my father would come back. I wish my mother didn't have a boyfriend. I wish I could get straight A's so my father would love me. I wish I had one mom and one dad so the kids wouldn't make fun of me. Now listen to the disintegrating talk here that has been picked up. I have three moms and three dads and they botch up my life. I wish I had an M1 rifle so I could shoot those who make fun of me. Wow. The, food, the future of a fool is unpredictable. In some cases, the future is a, a tragic accident. Sometimes it's prison. Sometimes it's death. The fourth area of danger concerning these foolish words is confusion. The toil of a fool so wears him that he does not even know how to go to the city. The fool seems to be saying, I don't know what to do about the problem. That's what he's saying. I don't know what steps to take. But the scriptures tell us that in every situation where we need guidance, there is a step to take, isn't there? Something you can do that is right. And if you do the right thing, then another step is open and another and another and soon you recognize that a divine hand is guiding you through the situation step by step instead of breaking up running and damaging your life and others gradually the situation unfolds to lead to a solution step by step that is wisdom but the foolish try and figure it out on their own thinking they have the power and they know what is best but the toil of a fool so wearies him his foolish actions, he wears himself out. He just can't figure it out. He just goes on and on and on, and he gets worse and worse, and it just gradually just gets, uh, you know, he goes in that downward spiral. This does not mean that the fool is ignorant intellectually. Fools can have great knowledge under the sun. They can, you know, they can be graduated from prestigious colleges with a Ph.D. and graduated with high honors. Folly has nothing to do with IQ, does it? It does have everything to do with stupidity. His talk is empty prattle. Shakespeare's Macbeth put it this way. A tale told by an idiot full of sound and fury, signifying nothing. These foolish ones do not hear the voice of experience and sanctity as they pursue their own 
desires. This is what we might describe as a person who is out to lunch or the lights are on but nobody's home. Then the second one, the wise leaders as opposed to foolish leaders. Wise talk is opposed to foolish talk. Now wise leaders as opposed to foolish leaders. Solomon has already described foolish leaders. Now he exposes a folly of political leaders. The bureaucrats who were part of the machinery of the kingdom. Government is a reoccurring theme in Ecclesiastes and he deals with this. Who else is better than Solomon to deal with it? Wise leadership. In verse 17, the preacher states, Blessed are you, O land, whose king is of nobility and whose princes eat at appropriate time for strength and not for drunkenness. Which lets us know of how a wise leader usually will surround himself with what? Wise cabinet people who will not only make him look good, but will make the country stronger. These leaders believe in their country and want it to be great again. They want to help their kingdom people feel safe and able to make a good living and feel needed and, and to be a part of the program for the kingdom. And not just it be all about them, but uh, to be about the people. These leaders have a sense of right priorities and, and are not seeking personal pleasure or, or selfish gain. And the result is that land prospers, he says, and under their rule. But then he says a foolish leadership. Woe to you, O land, whose king is lad and whose princes feast in the morning. Blessed are you, O land, whose king is of a nobility and whose princes eat at the appropriate time. So you see the contrast there? Here Solomon is exposing the folly of the leaders, foolish leaders. He gives four characteristics of these foolish leaders. First, they're immature. The word lad, sometimes translated as child, is not limited to just that description of being of physical age, young age. It may refer to age, but in this context, it's not limited to that interpretation. It is actually a leader who is immature. This is one who acts like a child when making decisions. It's also evidenced through other activities of life. And what he does and everything, that he is foolish. The preacher is describing a royal banquet that includes enough alcohol to get wasted. And these leaders lie around in the morning in drunken stupor instead of waking up alertly and going about improving and defending their country. The preacher is not against feasting here because he mentions that later. But a wise leader will know when to feast and for what purpose to feast. He is describing those who waste away their inheritance through riotous living. Those who live for feasting excessively and continually. Those who use any occasion to drink and especially get drunk. Those who use their position of privilege for selfish pleasure. Those who rule for personal advantage bring disaster to the people that they lead. Woe to any nation. Woe to any nation, he says, characterized by this kind of foolish living. Sinful in 
Uh, woe to any nation characterized, we could say today, by sinful entertainment, lazy self-indulgence, and widespread abuse of alcohol and other drugs, especially among its leaders. There are immature foolishness about this kind of thinking, he says. Isaiah shared about the kind of woe the preacher spoke of in Ecclesiastes as he spoke in Isaiah. He says in Isaiah 3, 1 through 5, For behold, the Lord God of hosts is going to remove from Jerusalem and Judah both supply and support, the whole supply of bread and the whole supply of water, the mighty man and the warrior, the judge and the prophet, the diviner and the elder, the cap captain of 50 and honorable man, the counselor and, and the expert artesian, and the skillful enchanter. And I will make mere lads their princes, those young. And children will rule over them, and the people will be oppressed, each one by another and each one by his neighbor. The youth will storm against the elder and the inferior against the honorable. Wow. What does that sound like? And the tragedy of this is that it's now history. It happened. What Isaiah prophesied came about. Isaiah told them, it is coming. But what did the people say? They were foolish. They closed their ears and said, it won't come. Leave us alone. We're moving in the right direction. We know what we're doing. And when it came, precisely what the prophet predicted occurred. Immaturity ruled the throne. And the land fell under the woe of the prophet. We talked about wise and foolish leaders, but this must also be applied to our personal lives and on a personal level. There is a time for feasting, but there is also a danger of wasting our lives in living for our pleasures. Every individual must learn to exercise self-control by the power of the Holy Spirit. We're to learn to put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. As born-again children of God, we're to remember at all times that we are princes and princesses of God's kingdom. Therefore, we are to act accordingly. We are representatives of his kingdom here on earth. Now, the second thing, he is incompetent. And indifferent. Look in verses 18, 19. Through indolence, the rafters sag, and through slackness, the house leaks. Because of their neglect and unconcern, the house been deteriorating. They have procrastinated. The courtroom of the king lacks fine appointments and disciplined servants. The reason being, the servants and bureaucrats hired by the king are lazy as a king is. They are very undisciplined. Instead of preparation and hard work, there is drinking, even early drinking, food, amusement, and foolish talk about money. Fools say to themselves, oh, well, money is the answer to everything. There's wasted time, wasted money, loss of priority, careless lifestyle, a lack of discipline, especially an unfinished task. So many things to take care of, but because of a foolish, irresponsible lifestyle, nothing is getting done. Just a lot of talk. 
There's a big difference in those who use the office and those who hold an office. The very basic joys, he says, of life, bread, which enables us to feast together, and wine, which gladdens life, are made available by money. Money is the answer to everything for those who are foolish. Even though there's wasted time, loss of priority, careless lifestyle, and unfinished tasks, the fool says money is the answer to everything. This does declare to us, though, through this and their foolish living, what makes a nation healthy, despite the weakness of its leaders, and that is to be industrious hard-working, who are willing to pay their way and put time into their jobs and effort. Not an entitlement state, not a handout nation, but the fool does understand that for their foolish living and being incompetent, it demonstrates otherwise. So the third one is discretion. Furthermore, in your bedchamber, do not curse a king. And in your sleeping rooms, do not curse a rich man. For a bird of the heavens will carry the sound. And, for, and the winged creature will make the matter known. In other words, the preacher tells us how to deal with the fools we encounter in life. He warns us not to be inappropriately disrespectful to the authority of a leader. Even in our bedrooms, we shouldn't curse someone because the things we say will eventually get out. It won't stop there, in other words. Or we'll say it in private to somebody else. A familiar saying a, a little bird told me probably came from this and originated from this uh, verse. And it reflects a modern proverb, even the walls have ears. So... It'd be kind of like bugging a room, you know, to hear what's going on. Do, kind of like they did recently. Well, we won't get into the election and all that. Do not revile the king even in your bedchamber. Does not imply that if you do complain, it might get back to the king and he will be angry with you and punish you. Rather, it suggests that you are constantly complaining about leadership. And that will create a condition eventually that spreads dissatisfaction among other people that will spread on and on and on. And so constant complaining about the leader will saturate into publicly it being known. It's the same way with the media today. And what has gone on behind closed doors comes out. Constant complaining about our leader in, in, of our nation has saturated behind the doors and through the media and all sorts of news. And it has caused what? It's trying to cause dissatisfaction. This is just an illustration of what we should learn not to do. We can converse with others about, uh, he's, he's not saying that we couldn't converse with others about how we feel and about politics. This is not what he's saying. There is nothing wrong with a healthy discussion. 
But we are not to be much like what the news media is is doing today who are participating deliberately at times in what we've seen proven spreading lies, falsifying the truth, and doing it continually for many reasons. And one in particular is to try and convince others the way that you are thinking, your thoughts, your views about it. We carefully... We're to carefully research facts just like they should be and present it and have a, just a reasonable discussion when you have it. But that's to do with anyone in the sense of, you know, if you disagree with their thought of theology or whatever, just let it be reasonable and out and open and not something that you do behind someone's back and talk about it. Preacher in the 1900s once saw an article that predicted the soon coming day when no American president will be able to serve more than one term in office. This is what he said. He predicted the reason being the media so scrutinizes the president and criticizes so vehemently everything he does and every word he speaks that no president will be able to stand the glare of such adverse publicity. It will be impossible to elect to office a second term because nobody will trust him. This was past somebody predicted this this was not just recently this is a commentary in our time against too much examination of people's lives especially too much criticism of what they do the american way is to elect a man to office giving him six months to change everything and if he does not do it spend the next three and a half years complaining about it there's a destructive element in complaining and griping about what government does So what the preacher is telling us is if you think it's hard now living with the fool, just wait until the fool, he finds out we're talking about him. Wait until you're the object of his wrath. Can we say that we're slow to speak and eager to listen? Can, when we talk, is it usually about something worthwhile? Maybe our work, our weather, news, friends, family, ministry, especially the Lord. When we began to... Uh, multiply our words do we catch ourselves and say "Mm, we're just talking nonsense and stop or do we just go on and jabber do we presume upon the future or are we content to leave it and everything we love in the hands of God even if we're retired are we if mentally and physically able still active especially with the Lord's work We don't want the idleness of a hands and mind to go about and let Satan use it in the wrong way. If so, we probably won't be worn out by foolish striving. We will sleep well. Do we live in a, uh, a mess and live like a bum? Or do we appreciate and, and desire to take care of both ourselves and, and uh, the places abode that we are living in? Do we take pride in trying to look our best or Are we comfortable with living with a leaky roof in whatever attire it might be? We should take pride in making our homes, ourselves, and our lives look and be the best. What is inside us is the best anyone could have should be our mentality. Are we demonstrated that uh, that to the world by the way we live and how we look? I'm not talking about showing off fancy things and walking around proudly and and, and showing what we have and bragging about it. What I am talking about is making everything look 
the best we can. Even ourselves. Because the lives that we live and the way that we act and look demonstrates how we think of God. Do our fellowships offer our best with thanksgiving, prayer, and great joy? Are we wise in speech? Are we wise in labor? Are we wise in our leadership? Do we speak our peace and love with the right attitude? Or do we complain and gossip and gripe about every little thing? Do we pray for one another? Do we pray for our leadership? Or do we constantly complain to others in private? It is one thing to talk about politics, like I said earlier, and another thing to join in the condemning with many like they do in the media, before one is proven guilty. The preacher says, that's the foolish way, complaining and joining in, before anything is proven. The wise way is to spend time with the Lord and make sure that how we live and what we do demonstrates who lives within us properly in a proper manner let's go to the Lord in prayer Father I just want to thank you for your love and your, your grace